This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, July 3rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, 4th of July celebrates in style. Stoked to shred at Telluride Skate Camp. Telluride announces Green Grants program and a mountain weather forecast. It's the day to celebrate everything red, white, and blue. Telluride will be packed on Tuesday, with residents and visitors eager to celebrate the summer and the 4th of July. The annual 4th of July parade will kick off the day with floats down Main Street, followed by a day of games, food, and music in Town Park. It's so exciting that we have the opportunity to have this day and activate our stage, our beautiful stage in Town Park. Um, We are going to have music, live music for local bands, opening up the show starting at noon and on Tuesday, and then we are going to have Soul Brass Band from New Orleans closing it out. Soul Brass Band's also going to jump in the end of the parade and be right in front of the horses and lead everyone into Town Park at the end of the parade. That's Jerob Carter, producer of Telluride's 4th of July festivities and concert in Town Park. Music will feature local bands Tyler and Warren, Pettygrass, Supa Def, and Joint Point. Closing the show will be New Orleans's Soul Brass Band. It's not just music. There's going to be the one-legged race. There's going to be tug-of-war. There's going to be a cornhole tournament going on, Um, among other things. So you just have to come out and sign up. We've got the Moonbeam Girls doing cotton candy and making bracelets. Uh, We've got face painting booth for all the little littles. Telluride Brewing Company will be providing a beer garden. And then we we have six food trucks and food vendors that are coming in. Um, we've got Blue Ribbon Barbecue from Montrose, food truck coming in. We've got Backcountry Catering doing their booth, which is they're one of my favorites at Bluegrass. Uh, Euro Cart, Grilled Cheese Cart, Latin Creations, uh, and we have an ice cream truck. Is And that's something I don't think I've ever seen in Town Park. So come for the ice cream. And Pop Telluride are doing some uh, N.A. Pops as well. Carter says the day is all about enjoying and celebrating with the community and honestly finding something to do. Uh, people need something to do between the parade and the fireworks and this is the perfect solution. You know, there's this and there's Mountain Village has red, white and blues going. So there's a, there's a lot going on for everyone. You can go in either direction and be entertained and eat food and, you know, make it to the fireworks happy. The town of Mountain Village will also keep the fun going with music from Disco Fuego, Bob Hemiger, Sean Mahoney and the Flatliner Express, and Jocelyn and the Sweet Compression in Sunset Plaza. There will also be carnival games, face painting and balloon art, magic shows, ice cream socials, and a mechanical bull. And of course, closing out the night will be a weather-dependent fireworks display from the Telluride Fire Protection District in Town Park. There's no shortage of fun in the Box Canyon and beyond on the 4th of July. So put on your sunscreen, drink your water, and celebrate the 247th year of the United States. Telluride Skate Camp teaches lessons on confidence, grit, and courage. KOTO reporter Grace Richards dropped into Town Park to see a skate session in action. It's 9 a.m. on a Friday, and the Telluride Skate Park is a beautiful kind of chaos. 
Everywhere you look, kids careen over the dips and curves of the rolling gray sea of cement, caught in an ephemeral rush of momentum and balance. They wear outrageously colorful knee pads and patterned wrist guards, cheetah print leggings. There's even a fuchsia unicorn horn helmet in the distance. You can hear the squeak of their trucks underfoot, an outcast song playing on distant speakers, and coaches encouraging kids to be brave, to try again when they fall down. Keep doing that, right? Repetition, what's gonna put it in your muscles? Aubrey, nice line. You okay? Are you okay? Okay, then get out of the bowl. (laughs) This is Telluride Skate Camp, a 16 years running program for people of all ages to learn the physics-defying art of skateboarding. Coach and owner of the drop board shop, Craig Wasserman, stands in the middle of the fray, guiding a wobbly-kneed child into her center of gravity on the board. Uh, My name is Craig Wasserman. I've been skateboarding pretty much my whole life. Wasserman, a retired art teacher, has been running the program since 2007. A bunch of kids that I started coaching and teaching back in 2007 and, you know, 2008, 2009, they're now my coaches. Skateboarding has long been a male-dominated sport. But I think that's only because a lot of little girls haven't had role models that show them they can do it too. But Wasserman says he sees that changing. With skateboarding in the Olympics, with Sky Brown, with all these young girls going for it, now they're like, oh, I can do that too. There is no shortage of little girls shredding the dips and hills of the skate park. If you count right now, I think there's more girls at camp than there are boys. And that's stepping up the level of skating, and it's also giving girls more confidence to walk tall in the world too. Two boys crash into each other in a tangle of arms and legs. It takes them only a second before they dust off and run after their boards, which have shot in opposite directions. No doubt about it, skateboarding is hard. It takes coordination, consistent practice, and a willingness to fall a lot. A young girl in a purple helmet named Shelby tells me she's been skating for a while. Eight years. She's taken her share of tumbles. One time I was doing a trick. The other time I was skateboarding in the rain and I slipped out and I fell on my hip. Balls happen. Injuries happen. It's part of the sport. It's different than football. It's different than softball or soccer or other sports kids play where we're just doing this for fun. We're kind of all on the same team. We're not trying to win or even be the best. We're just trying to have a really good time down here and share in the love of this kind of freedom that skateboarding offers. Wasserman says that skating cultivates the soft skills he remembers trying to teach kids in the classroom. Respect and patience and perseverance and dedication and focus and all these wonderful life skills. And skateboarding is so hard that it just teaches those things. So if a kid gets hooked and they start skating and they push themselves to get better, they're going to learn all those awesome life skills. And the biggest one that they can learn is dealing with fear. For children, fear often feels bigger than they are. When you get scared, you can either stop what you're doing and not try it, or you can be brave and try it anyways and face your fear. And that's what we teach kids, you know, five years old all the way up through adults. We teach them to face their fears, and then they can go and use that outside the skate park. Skating gives these small children the confidence, scrappiness, and self-esteem to hit that steep drop, shift their weight into a kick turn, or shred the bowl. They learn to look fear dead in the face, 
public speaking, foreign language, math class, um, you know, dancing in front of other, like who cares? Whatever it is, they know how to deal with their fear and they can feel confident and walk tall outside the skate park too. I'm KOTO reporter Grace Richards. This week may be all about the red, white, and blue, but it's time to go green. The town of Telluride, in partnership with EcoAction Partners, is now accepting pre-applications for Telluride Green Grants. The program supports businesses and residents looking to reduce their carbon footprint and help the town reach its goals in the Climate Action Plan. Green Grants looks to support projects that can measurably reduce greenhouse gas emissions, decrease energy and or water consumption, promote waste reduction, energy and water efficiency and renewable energy, and increase public awareness on the benefits of renewable energy and efficiency. Past projects have included net zero building construction, installation and weatherization of existing buildings, composting, and replacement of old boilers and furnaces. Grants range from $500 to $40,000 and are available to qualified applicants. Those interested in applying need to first submit an intent to apply. By November 10th, approved proposals will be invited to officially apply by November 17th, 2023. To submit an intent to apply, go to bit.ly slash TOT Green Grants. Long summer nights mean more time to take in great art. Galleries and businesses across Telluride will showcase new exhibits and artists at Art Walk on Thursday. Exhibits are taking place at AHA School for the Arts, Atelier, Baked in Telluride, Bella Fine Goods Between the Covers and Bruno, Crossbow, the Elenoff Gallery, The Gordon Collection, La Cocina de Luz, Mix Gallery, Red Dirt Studio, Rinkovich Gallery, Slate Gray, Telluride Arts HQ, the Telluride Distilling Company, the Tony Newell Gallery, the Wilkinson Public Library, and Woof Gallery. Complimentary gallery guides offering a self-guided tour are available at participating venues or online. The guide can be used at any time to help navigate through galleries and venues. Telluride Art Walk will take place on Thursday, July 6th from 5 to 8 p.m. Ten new state laws took effect over the weekend. Under one of them, all car thefts will be considered felonies regardless of the stolen car's value. Another new law dedicates $45 million to training for high-demand jobs in nursing, education, construction, and law enforcement. There's also a measure that creates a structure for the decriminalization of certain psychedelic substances. Coloradans voted in November to legalize natural psychedelics like psilocybin that's in so-called magic mushrooms. Stargazers from around the region gathered in southwest Utah recently for AstroFest, an astronomy event held at three international dark sky parks, Canyonlands National Park, Arches National Park, and Dead Horse Point State Park. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KZMU's Emily Arnston reports. The public was invited to come out to the parks to learn about summertime constellations and take a peek at some supernovas and planets through the telescopes. What is AstroFest all about? 
So AstroFest uh, kind of started first and foremost for just us linking together as a couple of international dark sky parks that surround the Moab area. This is Austin Kelly, ranger at Canyonlands National Park. To just get people out here to experience this. You know, a lot of people have not seen the Milky Way. This is their first experience here and having this event where they can come out, see a ranger program, see really unique telescope setups and just really unique things in the night sky was kind of the big thing. We have a lot of folks who maybe don't realize that we're an international dark sky park and we have partners like the city of Moab that's starting to become that. So just trying to raise that awareness is a really important resource, something we're actively protecting and, and something really cool and facilitating people seeing that. Yeah. Is Canyonlands a special spot to see stars? Yeah, I would say certainly. Due to the geography and where we're located, with Moab being kind of the largest city here, we're really fortunate that we have very little light pollution. Um, so we're definitely one of the darker places in the lower 48, for sure. One of the darker places here in Utah. Again, just because we're in this really remote country, uh, especially if you think of some of the districts of Canyonlands, like we're going out to the maze, where there's going to be like three light bulbs from the Hans Flat Ranger Station. That's uh, one of the darkest places that you can kind of experience here in Utah. Um, certainly one of the most remote. So yeah, really special for that. Why is it important to preserve the night sky? First and foremost, I would just say because it's really cool, right? It helps to center ourselves in this vast universe that we live in. So many people, about two-thirds of people in the United States, do not get these views. They have, live in light-polluted skies where that light is going up, hitting little things of water, gas, and spreading out where they can't see the Milky Way. Sometimes they're only seeing the moon. But in Canyonlands, it's also really important for the cultural aspect and the history that's tied there. You know, we have 26 affiliated tribes here in Canyonlands. And them and the people that came before them, the ancestral Pabloans as we know them today, they had really intimate connections with the night sky, whether it was for practical reasons like navigation, figuring out when you're planting or something like that, but even for cultural and spiritual things that even, you know, through a Western kind of lens that we're looking through, we can even only just begin to understand. And all of those associated and affiliated tribes, when we come to them, their interpretation of some of the structures and other things we have here is that they have those connections to the night sky. Um, and that's just here in Canyonlands, right? If we go to other national parks, we have thing like, things like Harriet Tubman National Historic Site, where they have a more modern interpretation and connection with the night sky of enslaved people getting to freedom. So for me, I think it's that cultural connection we have here. Earlier, we had been looking at a new supernova in the Pinwheel Galaxy. The reason we were looking at it a lot now in the last couple of nights is because there's actually a supernova, which is a star at the end of its life, where we can see this really bright star that showed up May 19th. So it's really new, super cool. Um, and it even ties back to some of those cultural connections where we have some petroglyphs and pictographs, not here, but in areas like Chaco National Historic Park, where they believe that that's from a nebula that the ancestral Babylonians were seeing. How where could they you were depicting see it? that. It was so bright, it was visible with a naked eye for that one, which that is, is insane. So cool. Been, at least from the interpretation I yeah. heard, it would have been visible during the day. Which is what? insane. But yeah, the one that we have in the pinwheel, it's just cool because it's like active astronomy, right? I think it's really easy for us to be like, oh, whatever, the stars from millions years ago but we're like hey you know the light from that star from 2600 light years away it's here now and we're seeing the supernova which is really cool and that's a month old for our human eyes that's super neat Okay, wait, but that did happen a long time ago. It did happen yes. a long time ago. But We're just now seeing, and it's new to us as a human culture living on the planet Earth. This new supernova happened about 21 million years ago. Canyonlands National Park Ranger Road Smart put that timeline into context for me. What was happening 20 million years ago? When we look to Moab, we actually get the carving of the canyons here at Canyonlands. And so the light um, has taken that long to travel and finally hits us. And, you know, it was happening at the same time that the canyons were forming. So here in Canyonlands, you can look at not only astronomical history, but geologic history at the same time. 
While I was talking to Arches National Park Ranger Kyle Ackerman, I saw probably one of the best shooting stars I have ever seen in my life. Right of like these swirls. Oh, <gasps> oh my God! I didn't see it. If, if you didn't see it, don't worry about it. Oh my God! That had a green tail. Why was it green? That was beautiful. I'll, I don't know the exact chemical, but oftentimes whatever is burning up in the atmosphere may have certain elements in it that will burn up and turn colors in the atmosphere because it's all friction. I mean, it's rubbing against that and creating such heat that all of those elements are combusting. So I'm not sure what it was, but it was beautiful. <laughs> we also got to hear constellation stories from Canyonlands National Park Ranger Rachel Toops. We've got the Summer Triangle, Deneb, this one's Vega, and this one is Altair. I just learned a story from Chinese mythology, a folk tale, and it is the story of a forbidden love, which is very exciting. Basically, Vega and Altair were two lovers. One of them was a celestial being. She lived in heaven. And then the other one was an earth person. And that was a forbidden pairing. And so they were placed in the sky and they were separated by what would become the Milky Way. This was a giant river. But once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, which is Valentine's Day in Chinese culture, magpies will gather to form a bridge over the Milky Way and allow them to meet again just for one day. Most of the famous constellation stories come from ancient Greece, but there are so many different constellation myths from all over the world. Ranger Kelly shared with me a constellation story that comes from right here in Utah. So the Pleiades, also known as the constellation Subaru in Japanese, um, so that's actually where the Subaru logo comes from. The Seven Sisters is also another name for it. There is in the Paiute culture, um, culture that is predominantly kind of on the border here going down northern Arizona, southern Utah, the coyote, as in many Native American cultures, is kind of a trickster. The, the story, at least as I remember it, is essentially that there were seven sisters and Coyote being a trickster um, turned himself into human form to try and trick one of the daughters of this family uh, to essentially uh, be his partner. And after that happened, he revealed himself to be Coyote. Uh, and at that point, uh, the sisters being ashamed and also just trying to get away from Coyote the trickster uh, fled to the sky to become the Pleiades. Um, so that's at least one example of a story that I've heard. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Tuesday, there's a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms with mostly sunny skies and a high in the mid-80s. Winds could gust up to 30 miles per hour. Tuesday night should be mostly clear with a low near 50 degrees. Winds could gust up to 25 miles per hour. Wednesday calls for sunny skies during the day and mostly clear skies at night. The high is around 80 degrees with a low in the mid-40s. This has been the news for Monday, July 3rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Tuesday for the July 4th holiday. We will be back with our regularly scheduled news programming on Wednesday. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, this is Teresa at the Telluride Historical Museum with your Miner's Minute. Did you know that the 4th of July has been one of Telluride's biggest annual traditions as far back as the early 1880s? The celebration was a time for the Telluride community to come together with even those who moved away coming back to town for the annual festivities. 
Local mines would traditionally close for both the 3rd and 4th of July to allow workers to enjoy the many different events the holiday offered. Although miners technically had the day off from work, many of the competitive events showcased technical mining skills, including machine drilling, ore loading, hand stealing, machine mucking, and hand mucking contests. Competitors could win considerable cash prizes from both the events organizers and the bets they made amongst each other. The annual tug-of-war competition was a highlight of Telluride's Independence Day celebration for years. When the local mines were still in operation, workers from different mining companies would compete against each other. In later years, Telluride locals would compete with neighboring communities such as Rico or Silverton. The Telluride Volunteer Fire Department has played a vital role in not only establishing the celebration early on, but also through its continued support of the festivities throughout the years. Be sure to join us this Tuesday, July 4th, for our traditional root beer floats after the parade on Main Street. So you can head up to the Telluride Historical Museum for free admission and $5 root beer floats. We are so thankful for the ice cream that is provided this day by Lori Davis from the Country Store and for the amazing root beer from Smuggler's Brew Pub. Don't miss these yummy treats. Hope to see you on July 4th at the museum. Also, be sure to sign up for our first Hike Into History event, which will be happening on July 8th, the Saturday after 4th of July, which will be a fun exploration of San Miguel City with Bob Mather. You can sign up for this special event by calling the museum or emailing me at t-h-e-r-e-s-a at telluridemuseum.org. Hope to see you for some of our fun summer events. Thanks, Kodo. You're a rare medium. Well done. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.